This year's donations might go to, say, the geology department. Oh dear, not the dirt people. Geology is the study of pressure and time. That's all it takes, really. What kind of activity has turned the lake massive? Look, I'm just a geologist. I like rocks. I love rocks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Geology Flannel Cast. My name is Steve. Did he do that on purpose? <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Chris. Oh, good tidings. I am Jesse. Uh, for those of you uh, who, who are not our patrons who got to listen to that wonderful beginning of our show, Jesse goes, I'm going to do it old school. We're going to count down. And then he counted down real fast. And then he goes, three, two, one. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, now go. Well, <laughs> I forgot there was two steps. You hit record, and then it asks where you want to record to. Yes. <laughs> Read that second step there. Uh, well, welcome, everyone. Uh, it's another exciting episode of the Geology Flannel Cast. What are we up to now, Chris? 90... 98. Woo. 98. What's the, what's the 98th anniversary? Uh, probably True Mirrors. Probably True Mirrors, <laughs> yes. <laughs> a true Mirror. Because if you're 98 years old, chances are you're a vampire. <laughs> Good chance, anyway. Uh, but today's episode, we're going to be revisiting minerals. Uh, just keeping it simple. Yeah, I like. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to keep it so simple. I didn't even open the outline. I'm winging it. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. Ah, well, I'm glad I spent the last week of my life coming up with an extraordinary outline. Well, you just right, real fast. No thinking. Steve, what's your favorite mineral? <sighs> you fail. Jesse, what's your favorite? Galena. <laughs> oh, Galena's a good one. Oh, man. I don't know. I you put me on the spot. Maybe I'm going to I'm going to change it up. My new favorite mineral. I don't know if I had an old one. My new one is weak site. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I don't know the chemical formula of it. So. I don't know. It's a it's a uranium night. Yeah. Named after the founder of Temple's geology department, Alice Weeks. How about you, Chris? What is it? Go. Uh, labradorite, also known as labradorite, depending on Ooh. how you pronounce it. I like I've the, been, I've been the labradorescence. Been told it is labradorite because it's from the Isle of Labrador. Yes. In but, Canada uh, is, I believe, how it's pronounced. I think so. Yeah, we, we know someone that pronounces it labradorite. That's why it's kind of an inside joke with us. Nobody else understands that inside joke. <laughs> no, it is. It's also heard anybody else besides that one person we're talking about. Pronounce <laughs> anybody else in the world say labradorite? No, I no. But it, there's very few times. How often does um, it come up? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we bunch. Apparently, I've heard him say it a bunch of times. But this is well, also the same person that says Himalaya and not Himalaya. I've heard Himalaya before. I, I will give. Himalaya. I will say that. Yes. But. I mean, we do talk about La- Labrador, right? I was about <laughs> to say Labrador. <laughs> because the, the, the local pub on Temple's campus, the bar top is made of Labradorite. Yes. It's, it's pretty. It's, a, yeah. it has it's the only like thing pearl, in that place that's pretty. It has like this pearlescence to it. It's like yeah. shimmery. They, they, it's called they, Labradorescence. Yes. What? Really? Yeah. yeah, it is called Labradorescence, oh. but um, for, if you don't know what Labrador looks like, it's like saying, you know, it's like using the word in its own definition. It doesn't yeah. really help. <laughs> like if you're colorblind, oh, it's red. Oh, thanks. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, today we're just going to be talking about minerals. We did talk about minerals um, on episode 17 back in January of 2015. Yeah, the OG episodes. Wow. Yeah. But uh, we're, you know, six we're years ago, six and a half years ago. Goodness. Goodness is right, buddy. Episode 17 to episode 98. I feel like we could do a little revisit. Um, at least our audio quality is a little better. <laughs> so a little bit, a little bit. Doesn't remember back in the day we would have, we would record it. Uh, and there would be like the, at the, um, remember the, the heater or something you'd hear like that bang. And then, uh, there was like all sorts of like background noise going on. Yep. Cause we, and we just, have one mic. We, we had a laptop. It wasn't even a microphone. It was a, we would hold yeah. we had a laptop. We just open up, sit around basically. Well, yeah, I remember, I remember there was a few episodes like I would I would like be on my phone calling in episode number two. We called <laughs> yeah. Steven. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Good time. We, we had a little technical technical <laughs> difficulty there. We, uh, we had, Steve was a call in for episode two. Oh, man. <laughs> and all we did was we just held the phone up to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> High tech. High tech. I, my, how far we've come. I mean, 20, 2014 technology was totally different. Yes. Agreed. I didn't even have a smartphone back then. I believe that. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I, I didn't get one until 2016. I remember. Oh. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, today's episode minerals. Hey, what? Where? Whoa. Where? You, smartphones have a bunch of stuff that you need. You mine minerals to make. That is smartphones good. Point. Are made, are made of, true. Made of minerals and rare earth minerals to be yeah. precise. Like yes. Jesse always plays that. Was it the three degrees of separation for geology? Or was it no? How does how does? Yeah. Oh, I can I, I can tie I, something back to geology. Yeah, name yeah. anything in this world. I'll tie it to geology. Yeah. Now, if you gentlemen looked at my perfectly formatted <laughs> document of our outline, thank you, formatting formula. Uh, you would have known. All of these things are in the outline, but th- thanks for not reading it. Jeez. Is, I'm just kidding. Does that count as our ad read for the night? Oh, we could. Yeah. Formattingformula.com. Check them out. Uh, tell them geology flannel cast sent you or go to YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. Um, with all those YouTube videos, you can learn how to teach yourself how to do all this word documenting stuff, super fancy stuff to fancy headers, footers, um, table of contents, all, all that kind of stuff, labeling figures, stuff like that. Um, and just different versions of word as well. Um, so check them out. You, uh, YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula. If you want to teach yourself how to do it, um, you know, like them, subscribe to them, leave them a comment saying the geology flannel cast sent you, um, or you can go to formattingformula.com and go the easy route and just have them do it for you. So, um, again, but make sure you let them know the geology flannel cast sent you that's formatting formula.com. Here's a, so, a, a shout out for formatting formula. They've been, they've been with us since early on. Yeah, man. That's yeah. right. When, they, when did they, they come believe- aboard? What episode? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. They believed in us though. They did so. from the beginning and Big still thank do. You. Big thank so, you. Jesse, how do you tie the formatting formula to geology? Well, you can only format using formulas on a computer, which which have chips, which are you know usually, usually have some <laughs> some either rare earth metals in them, some maybe if you're fancy, you got some gold, some silver, fancy. 
silver fancy. and gold. <clears throat> Some sort of fancy gold schlagered computer. There you go. <laughs> Aside from all the plastic and 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 rubber, that which using. also is yeah u- utilized from geology. Maybe not rubber, but ah, rubber grows in soil. the right type of soil. Yeah, and climate. All right, but speaking of rare earth minerals, let's talk about minerals. Can you guys name off the top of your head what makes up a mineral? <clears throat> uh, should we should we take turns here? Sure, I'll, go. I'll go first it's got to be solid all right that's oh, one that's one go ahead chris uh she's i'm on the spot right now uh it has <laughs> that's what you that's what you get for telling us to name our favorite <laughs> yeah. yeah i want to see hands up i don't want to see any googling <laughs> yeah. solid he's only named hands, one hands where i can see him no 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 uh solid uh it has to be naturally occurring okay yeah. uh orderly crystalline structure yeah, specific chemical composition. And then this last one is the the iffy one. Inorganic. Inorganic. Can't be living. Yes. So that's, te- that's technically, because uh shell or, material. Exactly. Well the, so, the sh- well the shells, the shell itself is not living. Yes. So for that's instance, really uh cool. for those of you who are listening and may be like, what what are you arguing semantics for? Like a, a cube of sugar or a grain of sugar technically has like an internal crystalline structure. It technically has a defined chemical composition. Um, it's solid, but because it's derived organically, it is not considered a mineral. But so salt, it has salt but looks salt, just like sugar. If you had a handful of salt and a handful of sugar. Yes. Might so be easy to confuse all those sugar. things, all the ways that you measure it and like yeah. the internal diffraction and all that stuff. Like, uh, but, you know, according to the international firm of mineralogists, uh, they say, nope, draw the line here. But like I, coral, and- coral reefs, another good one, because the coral actually is a living thing, but then it dies and leaves behind. It's yeah, the, the structure, like the it's it's structure is not living like shells of a bivalve. The bivalve is <clears throat> filtering the ions out and constructing them into its shell but the shell itself would be considered inorganic. And it's the reason why when we asked my favorite mineral, I didn't say coal. Mm. This coal is made up of plant matter that that is organic. So you would, so it fails in the, in the sense that it's, it fails that that last one it's, it's organic. So we would consider it not a mineral, but a mineraloid. It's close. Mineraloid. Yes. Close, but so these minerals are, you know, the building blocks of rocks. And um, if you really want to blast from a plash, you can listen to episode eight from May of 2014. Um, the episode title was How a Rock Becomes a Rock, <laughs> um, which we was actually that? one one of That's our a- more popular podcasts. If you remember, the three previous ones were very specific about our research and nobody listened. <laughs> <laughs> And then we decided like, Hey, let's get back to basics. It's like not much more basic than how a rock becomes a rock. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. most, most rocks are made of several minerals. They, yeah, it could be one or several. Could, yes. They could, it could be one, but most of them are made of a, a conglomeration of minerals. If you may. Yeah. And then what are the minerals made of? Oh, <gasps> 
It's inception. Uh, Adams. <laughs> Adams. Yeah. Adams. Adams, done. Uh, all right. Well, see everyone next week. <laughs> all right. Take care. <laughs> uh, no, and just the basics of atoms. You have protons, you know, the positive part of the atom. Neutrons, meh. Yeah, the neutral part. Switzerland. <laughs> and then electrons, the negative oh, sh- part. <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> yeah. Well, if you study isotopes, though, <laughs> neutrons, neutrons are important. They are. They are. <laughs> but it's it's true when it when it comes to one of the important things with minerals is is how these atoms bond. Yes. And so word is bond. Yeah. Um, That's what gives a mineral a bunch of its properties is the the bonds that it has. Yes. You get some some chemical bonds are super strong. Other ones, meh, meh, not not so strong. Good old old Vanderwall bonds. Yep. And and, uh, yes, and the the number of protons actually defines what kind of element it is. So you have these building blocks, atoms make up elements on the periodic table, and your number of protons is basically defines your element and like jesse said the number of neutrons can then define the different isotopes of that element yeah if you start if you start adding or subtracting protons then you get different element names that's that that number of protons is the identity of the element yes so we call that nuclear reactions woo um, yeah. And then you have valence electrons and different electron shell shapes and things like that. We're not going to get into the super specifics of it. Well, we could just real fast. Uh, that, that's where all the, 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 um, the bonding is going to be occurring is with yes. the, val- the, the outermost shell. They're always trying to, these electrons, they want, er, not the electrons, I say the atom it, uh, the valence shell is, uh, except the first shell is, has two ele- uh, electrons and everyone after that is seven. And they're always trying to, long story short, that it's, it's the bonds are always trying to figure out a way to get seven electrons to fill up that, that valence shell. So different types of bonds do different types of things with the electrons. Right. And then the, those bonds, you have like <clears throat> ionic bonds. Ionic. Yeah. They, they transfer electrons between the atoms. They kind of like share, share yeah. it. Though they don't share it. They transfer here. You take one. Like uh, uh, salt, right? NaCl. That's, that's an ionic bond, mm-hmm. right? And you have chlorine. Chlorine naturally has a uh, plus one. It needs chlorine needs one electron in its valence shell. And sodium has one. Sodium has only has one in its. Yeah. Right. One of them has one electron in its valence shell. One of them has seven. Killing the chemistry here. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> that's that's why I was going to go with a broad overview. <laughs> Just um, digging myself in a hole for this one. Yeah. So you have ionic bonds where the electrons transfer. You have covalent bonds where the electrons are actually shared. So like you know the the one element has it for some time, and then the other element has it for some time. Then you have like hydrogen bonds, van der Waal bonds, other different kinds of hybrid bonds, metallic bonds, things like that. Um, metallic bonds are cool because they got like a, a sea of electrons and they just kind of, that's what it was. I had a chemistry teacher in college told us, uh, you know, think of it as like, a, just this like sea of electrons. There are all the atoms are just kind of sharing these electrons. Electrons are kind of going all over the place. And that's what gives metals like this. They're really interesting qualities, like their ability to conduct heat yeah, or their ability to ductility. 
conduct that, uh, conduct electricity, right? Uh, it, it all has to do with those uh, metallic bonds. It's and it's part of the reason they're malleable too, right? Is that right? Or yeah, no. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like duct ductility is how how far it can be stretched. Oh, right, 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 right. right. Mal yeah. Malleability is the ability to bend and shape it. Ductility, yeah. I think, is the ability to stretch it without breaking. Yeah, duct, and that's why uh, it always kills me when I think of like gold. The ductility of gold is like is something you could take the gold that's the size of a pencil and stretch it out a mile or something yeah, crazy. Yeah, and platinum's even more like an ounce of oh. platinum can be stretched like ten thousand feet or something Jeez ridiculous. Louise. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's insane. Pretty cool. <clears throat> or just uh. No, I guess never mind. I was just going to say something. Continue. <laughs> I was, just, I was, I was thinking malleability, was, but never mind. Um, yeah. And then, you know, you do have isotopes, like Jesse mentioned, where you have different numbers of neutrons. Um, you can also have things like radioactive, radioactive decay, where mm -hmm. things actually start to break down and they lose protons and, uh, you know, essentially break down from something bigger to, a parent to a daughter to something smaller. Um, that's another way you can get different elements on the periodic table without fission or fusion, I guess. <clears throat> um, and then these bombs are important because they are what form the crystals, right? These different, you know, uh, like you can think of them like Velcro. I don't know. The, it's different ways that they stick together and the different shapes that these molecules are in help them stick together in stronger, weaker fashions, which make stronger, weaker minerals. I, yeah. Uh, I think, I think it does two things. Like you were saying, one is the, the strength and two is the length, right? In terms of it, it sets up its crystalline structure. So the crystalline structure tells us, that it's always in the same arrangement, just repeating yep. over and over and over again. And so those bonds play a big role into that. Yeah. And uh, so these chemical, so the, the, the ingredients are the same. And like Jesse said, now the, the shape that those ingredients go in are all the same, exactly the same over and over and over and over again. And uh, it's a good friend of the show, uh, Nicholas Steno. Right, Nicholas? Yeah. Oh, I think he's a Patreon now. I think he <laughs> might be a Patreon. Nikolaus Steno. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, he was Danish. So yeah. Um he was the, uh, so he not a bishop in the Catholic Church. He was he's um, uh, he's like almost a saint. He's uh Yeah. Right? He's, he was uh, what's that called when you're like one step away from being was a, he a canonized saint? or canonized? Yeah, canonized. Yep. Yeah, he was <clears throat> Yeah, he was a bishop in um, looks like Germany and Scandinavia. But yeah, I don't know anything about his. He's he's uh, he's a saint in my book. Right. I, I don't know if so I'm. If you're canonized, that means was you have to have. I think in the and you have to have three, three miracles. Right. Three miracles. He was, he was beatified. Beatified. So was, okay. Yeah, if you're canonized. That means you become a saint, right? Yeah. So yeah, yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah, beatified leads to canonization. So he began the process. Um. Yeah, he was. Th he made it three out of the four steps. Cool. But so Steno, not not his law of superposition, 
This would be the law of constancy and interfacial angles. Ooh. Hmm. I always knew it as Steno's law, but that sounds a lot more fancy, right? Fancy. Yeah. That's a lot more like uh, legit. But it's essentially angles between equivalent faces of the same material are always the same. Um, so he legit did this with like protract protractors and other angle measuring devices and did it over and over and over and over and over. And then he would precisely draw these things too, because this was the 1600s, 1500s, um, where he would 1600s, 1600s. He would draw these things over and over and over again. And, you know, he noticed that there was a pattern like, Hey, this quartz or this calcite is always the same angle over and over and over and over again. Um, so this is the 1600s. Um, <clears throat> then French mineralogist Jean-Baptiste de Romelaise, that's terrible, I butchered that, um, confirmed Steno's findings like 100 years later, um, noticed that the angles are characteristics of the substance. Uh, French crystallographer René Just H-A-U with an umlaut Y. Usually considered the father of crystallography, showed in 1774 that the known interfacial angles could be accounted for if the crystal were made up of minute building blocks of that of that corresponding to the present day unit cell. So he was the first one to be like, hey, these things like grow in the same fashion, they break in the same fashion, that like they must be made up of just tinier units of this thing. Um so uh yeah so steno said hey all these minerals have to have the same angles these other french mineralogists prove that he's correct but it wasn't really i guess i don't know solidified to use a pun oh uh, yeah until 1912 and what what was the scientific method that proved it gentlemen what do you think of when you think of mineralogy? Yes, that's right. X-ray diffraction. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. That makes a lot of sense. So well, at that you know, point, let's see. Uh, when did when would when did uh, Madame Curie uh, pick up on on radioactivity? Eighteen ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. And, I think it was ninety eight. Eighteen ninety eight. And Rankin was before that, right? Uh, it's just well, yeah. She did radon. Rankin did X-rays. Yes. So, um, yeah, she got her. Did she discover know, radioactivity? Great question. She got her first Nobel Prize in 1903. Let me see. So I think yeah. I want to. But that was in I think, chemistry, yeah. right? Not yeah. physics. Well, she got chemistry and physics yeah, she got physics in 03 and chemistry in 11 1911 yeah rankin was in 1895 he did x-rays but he didn't understand um the mechanism behind the production and then becquerel discovered uranium and wait so he he discovered x-rays but he didn't understand how he got x-rays like how they were being produced how they like he didn't understand i guess the chemistry he- the mechanism was he make? Was he detecting them? Yeah, with he film. Was, he had film, film that yeah. got exposed, but there was no light, and he couldn't figure it out. And then he he traced it back to yeah. there was this like um, vacuum tube 
that they were running electric current through and it was producing these invisible rays. He called them X-rays because nobody could see them, but the film was picking it up. So then the first famous X-ray is of his wife's hand and she's got this giant, what looks like a giant rock on her finger, like a big diamond, but I'm guessing that's the diffraction. The the x-ray patterns probably got the x-rays probably went into the diamond. They got diffracted out, which made the diamond look much, much bigger. Either that, or he was a baller back in 1895. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So she, she realized, yeah, there was radiation coming off of uranium. And then she went on to discover radon and thorium and, and so on and so forth. And, yeah, ra- radium was already a thing, right? Radium. Radium was. Yeah, yes. Radon. Well, correct. Was. Yeah. Um, but this x-ray diffraction method, what's cool about this is, um, you know, visible light is at, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to know this exactly, but it's like 300 nanometers to 700 nanometers is, is the wavelength of visible light. Uh, yeah, 380 to 720, I think. All right, there you go. Um, <clears throat> whereas x rays are at a much, much smaller wavelength. So, when you think about that, uh, you know, think of uh, waving a slinky up and down and then trying to pass it through a coffee cup. Well, you can't because the, the, the slinky is too big to go through the coffee cup. Now, you take x-rays which would be a teeny tiny fraction of the size of a slinky and then you can pass it through the coffee cup this is a terrible example but <laughs> you're doing great you're doing great but the point is that these x-rays are so small that they can actually penetrate the space between these atoms bonding the, you know, there's these little spaces in between all these things stacking together and they stack together in a regular pattern. So imagine Venetian blinds, you know, lined up. And if you're, if you're looking at them straight on, you can almost see right through the window. It's almost like the Venetian blinds aren't there. Correct. But then if you twist that knob and turn those Venetian blinds, all of a sudden you can't see anything. Well, crystallography figured out that if you take a crystal, shine x-rays at it, and then have a detector on the other side and you turn that crystal at some point that crystal is going to turn to the point where the x-rays shoot right through it. And then they get what they're called diffraction angles. That that's the angle between where they're shooting at the x-rays and where they're trying to detect the x-rays and then the mineral in between. And they actually, every single mineral has its own very specific exact diffraction angle pattern. This is the International Center for Diffraction Data, which is actually right here in the great state of Pennsylvania. Um, They actually set these standards for each and every single mineral, and every mineral has its own unique pattern. And and it wasn't until x-ray diffraction that you could really, with quantitative precision, prove that this one mineral is different from this other mineral. Because before then, you did have, you could do chemical tests to figure out what the com- the constituents were. Um, you could, you know, measure the angles. You could, you know, do all these other things that we'll get into the different properties of, of minerals. But it wasn't until x-ray diffraction where you could actually quanti- quantify this stuff and say, yes, you know, um, 
because for instance, there are some minerals where they're made up of the same exact material, the same exact ratio of material, but the chemical structure is slightly different. Think of uh, graphite versus a diamond. It's just carbon. They're both just carbon. It's made up of the same material. It, they're both inorganic. They're both uh, regularly occurring, same chemical composition, but the internal structure is slightly different. And that's the difference between a pencil and an engagement ring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you think about it, it's kind of, it's kind of silly that way. <clears throat> uh, do you guys you want to get see, into it? Some it was, the, yeah. It's almost, it's almost like you like did all the maintenance work for an XRF for a bunch of years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was fun. And so uh, Jesse and Chris are alluding to, we had this diffraction machine that was state of the art, like super nice, super 60, fancy 60 years ago <laughs> yeah, what in year? 1986. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we had a uh, funny how big that is. Like back in the day, like those x-ray diffraction machines were like, and that thing took up the whole length of a room. It was huge. Yeah. yeah I mean, now, it wasn't that big. It's how, like the, how, lo- how long was it? Yeah, I guess, feet. I guess it was about the size of a smart car. Yeah. <laughs> is the biggest x-ray diffraction uh, instrument I've ever seen. Anyway, um, well, at the time it was the only one I've ever seen. So yeah. <laughs> now, now they're much smaller. Now they got yeah. one on the uh, on the Mars rover. Yep. Yeah. But uh, it was interesting this thing because it it's kind of like working on old cars where it's it's kind of easier because they're not that complicated. Um. So I would, you know, something would stop working and I could literally take apart the circuit board and figure out what circuit malfunctioned and and replace that circuit (laughs) and there you go yeah so you you can't do that today like it's just anyway uh it was an interesting machine i mean that it was interesting also because like (laughs) the safety mechanisms were not what they are today no like that front panel where like it was just the transformer (laughs) where you know where the whole power of the system was literally like yeah, you could, if you were separated from it by a small, thin piece of metal. Yeah. <laughs> that would pop off. Yeah. It also had fail safes where if like you opened the, the, the lead impregnated glass, it would, it would shut down. But then there was also a, 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 a fail safe turnoff. So you just turn this key <laughs> override. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the, the coolest thing that I thought was um, the piece of lead on the backside of it where you could see it like etched from x-rays hitting it. Yes. Do you remember oh, yeah. that? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good yeah, times catching wayward x-rays. Yeah. yeah Cause think- our, our new one <clears throat> that would, the one new one we have, you know, is a quarter of the size of it. Then the case it's in is basically just empty space. Old, just making a platform and it's, much more sleek but i feel like you lose something there like in the new cars <laughs> you know you pull the hood up you don't see how it works yep that, that old one Whew. yeah you could see how it was working yep because you could see it yep the old regaku D Max b ah what a good machine and according to regaku we had the last one on the planet that was still working so and part of the reason we stopped using it aside from it being essentially Steve being the only one who could service it uh, 
wasn't it it was still running on like windows 98 so i was yes. just gonna ask yeah what computer what os was it running on we 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 had to take it was on a computer and we had to take that computer off the network because it was like a security threat for the network <laughs> yeah but who's gonna hack into a windows 98 computer though like you know who, who would even think to do that i get next thing you know they're demanding bitcoin to get exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> I need my text file, my XY data, <laughs> which, which it, when I first started there too, which is in 2006, when I honestly started doing XRD, it was 2007. It was still printing out the, the peak, every, every run you would do, it had that, like, it's called a diffractogram. Yeah. It would print out the diffractogram. So, and it had a, a you would sign in, a, it had a log sheet you would have to sign right everyone so even if even if it did get hacked we had the data <laughs> printed out oh my god <laughs> and just you know get your ruler out and figure out where those peaks were yep good times yeah yeah so anyway so every crystal every mineral <clears throat> has a specific crystal structure and so you could fire x-rays at it and the x-ray would bounce around the ends i don't know if you've mentioned this i got down memory lane there yeah uh, no so 1699 when steno proposed yeah. this and it really wasn't proven till 1912 so pretty incredible out of the park you know it's yeah two, 250 years later ish so uh it's good pretty, enough to be a saint in my book hi oh there you go um but then we do have these other defining characteristics i guess you would call them of minerals um and I say mineral in my head, so I spell it correctly because I'm a terrible speller. <laughs> and I want to put it E-L at the end for saying mineral, but it's mineral. <clears throat> um, so we have opti- optical properties, right? Can anybody name some of these? Uh, <clears throat> no. All right. Luster. <laughs> Luster, oh. basically, how shiny is it? Yeah. No, does it reflect light? Yes, no. And you if it you does, didn't start off with color. Color is a that's it's like, on the list. All right, all right, all right. The ability to transmit light. Yes, yes, no. Essentially, but sort of opaque. Nope, can't see through it. Translucent can kind of see through it. And I like. Oh, go ahead. Finish. I was just going to say that the definition that they that I read today in my geology textbook was translucent. Light, but not an image is transmitted through. So you can see light through, but you can't see an image through it. Yeah. So so I always think of like, okay, so yeah, opaque. It's like a brick wall. Boom. Nothing's, nothing's getting through if it's opaque, right? Uh, Transparent. It's like the windshield of your car. You want to add all the light to get through the windshield of your car. Translucent is like a stained glass window, right? So if you're on one side of a stained glass window and there's another person on the other side of the stained glass window, you can see the shadow of the person walking by, but you're not going to be able to make out who that person is. Exactly. That's, yeah. like that's, a, that's a great example. I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. I was going to say frosted glass, but I like stained glass window, making yeah. it classy. Well, classy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a um, throwback to Nicholas Steno. There you go. Bishop I'm sure he's got a stainless glass window somewhere. Stain, stainless, stainless glass. <laughs> he keep he runs a he runs a clean ship. Stainless. <laughs> uh, uh, next one would be 
color, Chris. Color. And, and I specifically didn't list color first because it's beaten into your brains as a uh, fledgling geologist to not use color as your main identifier for when you're trying to identify minerals or even rocks because minerals or rocks can have many different colors. I mean, some of them only come in one color. Yes. But, no, you're uh, agreed. Mean, don't use, we always tell like students don't use color at first, but then once you get really good identifying the minerals and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we have something called streak. Well, and this is uh, not taking off your clothes and running around streak. Can, I mean, streak sort of the streak is one way to differentiate color from the actual, right? Is that where yes. I was just going to go into here for a second about how certain minerals have an appearance of a color, but it's yeah. not their real color. Yeah. Do you want to talk about streak first and then I'll come back to this? Idea? No. Well, yeah, streak. Uh, no, you, you get into it because essentially that's how I was going to kind of define streak yeah, a bit. I mean, so you could have like a <clears throat> a colorless mineral, say like quartz, and it can get an impurity into it. And so it's not going to change that it's quartz. The quartz crystals are growing, say, around this impurity. And um, fun fact, you get a little bit of titanium in your quartz turns blue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so like like manganese will turn things pink or nickel will sometimes turn it green and and um copper may turn it blue as well. Titanium and copper chromium I think gives it orange. Um cobalt turns it like violet to red. Uh so it, it, it just takes especially if you have a transparent or a translucent mineral it doesn't it takes you know a few little tiny impurities to to throw you off and that's why it's beaten into us that color is not great yes a streak on the other hand a little more reliable is what you go to right yeah streak streak is pretty cool because you you take this mineral and it looks one color and then you literally scratch it against a rough surface usually a piece of rough porcelain rough porcelain glazed porcelain yes unglazed porcelain glazed porcelain um and you scratch it against it and then the color of the powder from the the abrasion is your streak color um and some uh if you get a fancy mineral identification set uh they'll even have black unglazed porcelain oh that's because, right you, know you got it that's if you get that that black porcelain you've yeah. made it yeah. yeah yeah i'm telling you because you can uh some sometimes you you streak it across the streak or scratch it across the streak plate and it's like oh it has no streak i don't see any color but then you streak scratch it across a black <laughs> streak plate and it's like white it has a very distinct white powder yeah so um yeah or I like the, um, my favorite streak color, there you go, it's from hematite, right? So hematite can come in a couple of different colors. Most commonly, most of the times it's like a, like a rusty, rusty red color, right? But, you know, there's another, uh, hematite also comes in this like dark gray color. And, but even when it's still dark gray, has this like this brownish red streak. Neat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah, the streak doesn't have to match the color of the of the mineral and the 
the reason a streak plate works, right, <clears throat> is because unglazed porcelain is very hard, right? So this takes us into sort of the other property, which is hardness. Do we want to? Sure. Um, so so the, the reason I, I, I mentioned is, so what you're doing with the streak plate is you're essentially breaking the rock up. Mm-hmm. powdering it yeah powdering it <clears throat> into thousands of tiny pieces so if there is one or two or three a few little impurities this averages it out and so you lose that yep then- yeah so that brings us to mineral strength so there are different different uh characteristics of mineral strength and one of them um it basically how easily they break down so the strength of the chemical bonds holding them together uh, tenacity is the resistance to breaking or deforming. How tenacious is it? Uh, hardness is the resistance to abrasion. So some people mix up the two uh, between tenacity and hardness. Like there was uh, this famous story of these guys in Africa who found a huge diamond and they mixed up tenacity with hardness and thought, oh, it's a diamond. It has to be harder than steel. So they smashed it with a hammer. <laughs> and they broke the giant and diamond. They, exactly. That is a real bummer. So hardness, yes, diamonds are very hard. And as most of our Patreons know, based on their Patreon tiers, you too can become a Patreon. Check us out at patreon.com. Uh, <clears throat> our, our Patreon tiers are based on Mo's scale of hardness. So the hardness is resistance to abrasion. So can it be scratched or does it scratch something? And then depending upon where you are on that scale, depends on how hard you are. Tenacity is resistance to breaking. So if something was very tenacious, you could hit it with a hammer and it wouldn't break. Uh, that tenacity and hardness are are not necessarily related to each other though. If that makes sense, kind of like Chris was explaining how metallic bonds are, are kind of cool because they allow things to like bend or move or, you know, not essentially not break apart. Um, then you have things called cleavage, Kleben. Uh, uh, shoot. I forgot to write down what language that is, but uh, it means to carve. Is it French? <sighs> um, I don't know. I, I feel, I was just really quick looking up, uh, Friedrich Mose, who was the German geologist. I was going to, I was going to say, let's let's uh, let's jump into that for a second before we move on. <clears throat> Which I did not realize this was was based off of. Um, <clears throat> uh, there was some, I guess, ancient uh, Greeks, including. Well, he would be. He wasn't Greek. He was Roman, but Pliny the Elder uh, wrote wrote sort of about in his natural history work um, <clears throat> wrote about scratching rocks on one another. And that's all Mose did to come up with his hardness scale was he just, he took some rocks and he just started scratching them together. It's all relative, right? So you, if one scratch, if one rock scratches the other, it's harder. Yeah. Yeah. G- game over. Yeah, the thing with most hardness scale uh, is it's, it's not it's not a linear scale. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's and it's it's not like a quantifiable. It's really qualitative because you're rel- It's relative. You're 
comparing things, right? They just, uh, you know, whatever, just threw a, a one to 10 scale, you know, <laughs> hey, how hard is yeah. it better? I give it like an eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess technically. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is there a specific reason that he picked the minerals that he did? Or are they just like relatively common mineral? I mean, like there are a lot of, there's a lot of really common minerals on that, on that scale. Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a great question. I don't really know too much information about how he came up with that scale or why he, why he picked those. I would like to get into that, that story about, how Moe's came up with it. Friedrich is, he was just bored, I guess, whatever he could find around um, wherever he was in Germany. Jern Road. Well, I guess he was born before Germany was a country. Actually, he died before Germany was a country as well. So, um, so we call him Prussian, German. Prussian? Yeah. yeah it was the uh, Jern Jaren Road, which was part of the Holy Roman Emperor Empire. Oh, okay, wow. Um, oh, he oh, worked he... at a, he worked at a mine, and so he was employed by the mine to identify minerals in the private collection of a banker. Ooh, so that's how it always goes. Hmm. How did and I get he... that job? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh, and then he, <clears throat> then an archduke, uh, who had just this established a museum heard of his work with this banker yeah uh, the rich get richer that's, that's what it comes down yeah. i can't believe we haven't done an episode on mo yeah and so yeah he ended up becoming a professor that's ah if, if only it was that easy <laughs> well maybe it is that identify easy. some just, minerals for a rich it, banker it could, yeah you know, it's just it's just who you know uh and so is life yeah but yeah, I assume it's it's just uh, what he had around him. He settled in Vienna, so maybe whatever he found in Austria. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you think of it, calcite and gypsum. and But I guess maybe diamonds were easy to come by if you're working for a banker and an archduke. Maybe that's all he had. I got yeah. all these diamonds. I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, right. Hey, what, what do you want me to do with this diamond? Scratch it? Okay. <laughs> all right i'm you're trying i can't you're, scratch it you're the boss put this one at the top <laughs> yeah so yeah so mo we should yeah we should do a little research on mo maybe do a little something something extra for friedrich friedrich um yeah so mo's hardness scale right the resistance to abrasion and you have cleavage, which is the tendency of minerals to break or cleave along planes of weak bonding. So we, we talked about that regular internal structure and, you know, these say like silica tetrahedron stacking in sheets. Well, the, the layer between the sheet is going to be weak. So they're going to break along that layer. And that's what you would call a cleavage plane because it's a plane of weakness. That's where the rock is going to break. And then you have something called fracture, which is when the rock breaks too. However, if you have a rock where all of the bonds are of equal strength and or close to equal strength, when you break it, it's not going to preferentially pick one or the other because they're all about the same. So the rock's just going to break. Um, 
essentially. I, I if, if you guys can figure out a better way to explain that. Um, it's pretty much it. Yeah. 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 So it kind of it's, breaks in all directions. So you have some rocks that cleave no very pattern. well. Yeah. And then you have some, um, some rocks that are minerals that uh, fracture. Like sometimes, like quartz, for example, usually has conchoidal fracture. So it fractures in these like concave little, little, little ice cream scoops take it out. Yeah, like. exactly. Um, all conchoidal fractures. Yeah. Other, other physical ways to identify rocks, you have density and specific gravity. So how, you know, how heavy does it feel? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some minerals like your favorite, Steve Galena. Galena is very, very high. Very specific high. gravity. Gravity. You pick Such it up. A good one. Yeah. yeah. You pick it up and it's just like, oh, that's not gonna... Oh, crap. This thing's really heavy. Yeah. I should... so... Go ahead. I was just going to say the specific gravity of uh, Galena is 13 grams per. No, I thought it was seven. Seven and a half. Oh, ah, okay. And so. If, if you've ever held Galena, so Galena is, what is it? Lead sulfate? Lead sulfate. Yeah. Lead yeah. sulfide. Sulfide. Lead with sulfur. <laughs> so it's a lead atom and a sulfur. Uh, <clears throat> PBS. PBS2. Right? Yeah. Yep. That sounds right. So yep, public broadcasting. If you hold it, like, it's just, it feels dense. It feels heavy, right? And and it's just really something else. If you are holding it, wash your hands before you eat. Eat, cause, yeah, because it's lead. It'll make you dumber. But like, if if you could imagine something twice as dense as that, that that would be holding a piece of the core, because the core is right around fifteen. Wow! So I never thought just, of it like that. Yeah, yeah it's it's sort of crazy, because I mean. Galena is pretty dense. So just make it twice as dense. And if you want to compare, <clears throat> take a piece of like um, basalt. Basalt's right around three. And hold a piece of basalt and hold a piece of Galena, which I'm sure you have in your closet. Go to your rock shoe box, like we all keep our rocks in your closet. And if you take a piece of basalt, which is like 3.2 and Galena, that gives you a sense of like double the density. And basalt will feel very, very light relative to that Galena. And so then just do that with the Galena, double it. And you got the core. You're holding the core. And that's that's that. <laughs> the core is pretty dense is what you're trying to say. Yeah, I'm, yeah. That's the only point I'm trying to make here. <laughs> so, at, so Galena was seven. The core is around 15. The element osmium. You ready for this? 22 and a half Woo. wow is that the densest what's i believe that's the densest um osmium yeah awesome. like a, a bar of osmium like the size of like a hershey bar you know it weighs something ridiculous like 50 pounds holy crap wow <laughs> yeah yeah osmium is the densest yeah i once saw a, a gentleman holding a bar about osmium. it's obviously extremely expensive Apparently, osmium is uh, it. It's the the ball in extremely high end ballpoint pens. <laughs> what? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And uh, but I I saw a gentleman like explaining like he was holding it, but he had to wear like white gloves because he couldn't touch it, and like <laughs> you know it was like you know a million dollar bar of osmium or something because it's it's pretty rare, pretty dense. I mean, um, <clears throat> gold is like 19 gold is very dense mm -hmm. 
And that's why, you know, sometimes you see movies where they have like a brick of gold and it looks very heavy. Like they yeah. can't carry it. Yeah. And a gold bar weighs because of that density. A gold bar weighs um, 12 and a half kilograms, which is. Does anyone know off the top of their head? Two point. That's like 30 pounds. Yeah. But a, but a gold bar is like can fit basically in your palm. It's not very big. No, but it'd be like holding two bowling balls in your palm. Yeah. Yeah. So in- incredibly, um, yeah, density and specific gravity are are qualities that you could be able to just pick up with, you know, just by touch to feel it. Like, hey, how, how yeah. dense does this feel? And then you, there's lots and lots of other different ways you can identify minerals. Those are just like a, a bunch of the basics, especially like the ones you would have to do in a, in a like mineral identification lab. But you also have things like, does it react with acid? Um, you know, back in the day they used to like powderize it and then literally catch it on fire and see what color the flame was (laughs) because each different mineral would have a slightly different color flame. And they actually have methods of detection, like the flame atomic absorption spectrometer, like Mm -hmm. where it would basically burn a bit of it and the slightly different color flame would be detected and they could tell you like what minerals were in it. Um, uh, the weird things like double refraction, like if you have a piece of calcite, a pretty clear piece of calcite, and you have a dot on the ground, and you put this piece of, like, you're like, what is this? Is this calcite? Is this felt? Like, is this some sort of quartz? Like, but if you put the calcite down on the dot, it'll look like there's two dots. And that's a very specific um, thing to calcite. It's called double, double refraction. So, uh-huh. so one of, here's just, <clears throat> um, there's a type of um, calcite called Iceland spar, which is doubly refractive. And so it's thought that like um, Vikings would use the, the, the light properties of this doubly refractive spar to sort of tell the direction where the sun was on cloudy days. They could use it as a way to navigate when they were on the sea huh to to um, i never knew that yeah to get an idea of basically where the sun was and where the horizon was i don't really know the ins and outs of it but that's really cool though and people have done sort of these you know living archaeology experiments where they can show they show yeah it, it could it could it sort of works so it's pretty neat pretty neat uh cool. yeah those vikings they were pretty good at getting places in boats as uh, summarizing the history of the Vikings. <laughs> Jesse, <laughs> Jesse's side job as a historian. Yeah. Didn't realize this. Let me tell you about Vikings. They could get places in boats. boats. <laughs> <laughs> That's all really good at know. floating around. Yeah. Yeah. Over that the ocean. And they had cool hats. Yeah. Over the ocean, up the river, everywhere. You name it. They were there. Nice. <laughs> All right. So what's, what's next in the property? Did we do, we didn't do a taste yet. Ooh, yeah. No, that would be another, uh, other property. Um, do you want to tell the story? The greatest urban legend of geology ever Ooh, yeah. in terms of taste. Yeah. So there was <laughs> this fabled gentleman whose job 
It so, was. by the way, let's preface this once again. Well, do you guys have any evidence that this is a true story? No, no this is purely apocryphal. This yeah. is, yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah. And, no, it, sort of, there's your asterisk right there before we get into the story. We, no one knows if it's true or not. And I know, but there was this fabled salt mine <clears throat> where there was good, pure NACL salt, uh, just your standard, you know, you know, millions of years old uh, salt deposits that were being mined, but it's also being mixed in with uh, bittern, I believe it is. It's it's a slightly bitter salt that has. Uh, I thought I thought this was something to do with Bitcoin. Bittern. No. Yeah, I could be wrong, but <clears throat> anyway, it's, a, it's a, a type of salt that's a little more bitter. I didn't hear this part. I, I knew the yeah. bitter part, but I didn't. Know it, it's yeah. it's like potassium chloride, but okay. not like yeah. not like potassium cyanide that kills you it's like potassium chloride which actually potassium chloride is what they use like uh if you have high blood pressure it's like a no it's like a salt substitute so it's not quite as good and salty as salt so it's a little more bitter and it was like they literally would have a dude and its job was to like lick the rocks to figure out like oh nope it's getting more bitter this way let's go that way (laughs) and this guy's job was to lick rocks and licked some sort of ancient bacteria that had been preserved in one of these, you know, cause it, you know, just like any other mineral, you can have um, little fluid inclusions in them and things like that. And apparently this fluid inclusion had some sort of ancient bacteria that modern medicine had never seen. And what it like ate the guy's face off or something. Is that. I went after his tongue and his tongue swelled up. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like, I don't know if he died or almost died, but it was like, you know, that, that was the anecdote. Like, don't, don't lick the rocks in the rock lab. They had to, they had to amputate his tongue. Like they didn't, the, basically the doctors realized they, they've, you know, this guy's been licking rocks all day. And what he did was he like reanimated some virus that was inside the salt, you know, whatever, whatever this was. And uh, it, the virus woke up in his mouth and it started to, attack his tongue well you can't win them all no no um just when you thought you had the best job in the world you know salty (laughs) snacks all day every day yeah (laughs) how much how much water do you think that guy drank had to be a lot right just looking salt all day yeah i think they could get like a a a deer or something a deer. <laughs> so just i heard a deer in front of the mining machine up <laughs> yeah. oh, the deer going left yeah keep mining left <laughs> oh, um you know any other uh physical properties uh smell yeah sulfur, sulfur. yeah sulfur's stinky uh here's a fun fact metals do not have an odor um yeah that's isn't that why have you ever seen there's like a bar have you ever seen it's like a deodorizing bar they sell it at like i don't know i, I feel like they it's something you would see in like the sharper image or like a fancy pants store that sells fancy soaps or something brookstone but, or something yeah but it's it's essentially i don't know if it's copper or something but if if you if your hands have an odor to them if you've been like i don't know fishmongering all day 
Uh, it is tuesday (laughs) yeah gotta sling these fish uh you can rub it on your hands and it would it like it takes the smell away because something about the property of like metals not having stink yeah so so metals like we can all picture like if you have a handful of change how it smells right yeah that you know what i mean like the, if you the, ever the dumped copper, out a piggy bank or penny yeah. exactly but it's it's actually the copper doesn't smell it's when the copper reacts to the oils in your skin or the the uh, humidity in the air or the it's that chemical reaction that's happening it's not if you had a pure metal in a non-humid room and try to do like a sniff test of like which one's the penny or which one's the silver or which one's the gold. You, you can't, they don't have an odor and you just can't smell them. Hmm. Crazy, right? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. I never knew that Weird. either. So. I didn't know that either. Um, we missed one giant physical property. Magnetism. He- healing. Pro- oh, oh, healing. oh. Totally didn't talk yeah. about magnetism yet. Episode two is when we do healing crystals. <laughs> yeah. And Sasquatch. Reiki. We're going to do a whole episode on Reiki. Ooh. I don't even know what that is. It's when they hold the, the quartz over the healing power yeah. of quartz. You just, they just hold minerals over your body and it heals you. Nope. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> um, no. So there, there, are, there are many, many, like if you, if you get your Simon and Schuster mineral identification book, there, there are, Lots and lots of different fluorescence. Things. We didn't say fluorescence. Yeah. Fluorescence, like Under there are UV some minerals light. that only glow in UV light. Uh, apparently, there's a lot of fluorescent minerals near the Great Lakes, and you can take a black light and go on the shores of some of the Great Lakes and find some of these pretty fluorescent minerals. Uh, I've been in a few rock and mineral shows, and you'll find some guys out there with like just going through like the junk piles of stuff with UV lights trying to find these fluorescent minerals so and you'd be surprised they they show up pretty cool um there's also franklinite right that's in good new old jersey. franklin new jersey yeah. only found in franklin new jersey that's a yeah. good one yeah it's like a imagine like a disco rave cave that's what franklinite uh, cave would look like <laughs> just all different kinds of bright pastels glowing in the glowing in the black light some music in the background yeah it's all good uh what else um i think off the top of my head that's that's all i got either too yeah yeah you said reactivity to acid right yep yeah so that yeah look at um yeah that's it yeah so those are all the like main uh, paths of identify the physical properties of radioactivity. Really I guess you use radioactivity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> yeah, we, we talked about x-ray diffraction as <clears throat> where the x-rays sort of bounce off the internal structure mm-hmm. and every mineral has a very specific internal structure. You can't, if you can't identify it after all that, it ain't from this world. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. And they identify minerals, I don't want to say every day, but there's well over 4,000 identified, classified minerals. Oh, you like minerals? Name them all. Yeah, right? All of them. (laughs) Um, And they find new ones pretty, not pretty often, but they, you know, 
and they're usually some weird rare like it was an inclusion inside of another mineral inside of another mineral that happened to be in this rare configuration under super high pressure or something so yeah yeah it's it's crazy it's like um what's uh what they're like sometimes you'll find areas where you have like just a bunch of minerals all in the same place all these weird new minerals it's like the island where they have all the elements from oh the dial of yitri yeah where like 70 percent of the like lanthanide and actinide series are there yeah off the, <laughs> it's swedish Sweden, swedish right, yeah. yeah so yttrium terebium erbium and yterbium y t b e r and y b were all discovered and and minerals are sort of the same way you get these sort of unique little cases where you'll find just a bunch of minerals and they'll realize they're these are all all new which is exciting it is exciting yeah it's kind of like hitting the jackpot yeah i i would just be like i feel like i would just group it into something else be like ah it's probably just quartz (laughs) that's yeah i'm a lumper yeah <laughs> not a splitter yeah. um so what once you identify these minerals then you have different mineral classifications um and i'm just gonna briefly like super briefly broadly go over these um because there's so many different mineral classes we can get into but we're not going to because it's just too in-depth i well, just real quick, uh, there's actually a whole journal called New Minerals where nice. people publish. And so 2021 here, um, Dioscorite, that's with two I's there and I, D-I-O-S-K-O-U-R-I-I-T-A. It's a calcium copper chlorooxyhydrate. It's a new mineral. Huh. C-A-C-U-4-C-L-6-O-H-4 with four uh, waters. It's actually not that complicated. No, no. It's, I yeah. would have thought new mineral would be like 27 different things long. Yeah, it's kind of kind of crazy. And they found it on um, the cone of a volcano, which sort of makes sense. That does make sense. These extreme situations where yeah. you know it's pretty rare and people haven't necessarily been investigating it for long. Yeah, pretty. Ooh, these are pretty crystals. Anyway, sorry, getting no. distracted. Getting distracted. Ooh, this is. Oh man, I'm gonna <sighs> send it over to y'all in the chat here. Look at the pictures. This is. Uh, it's like this beautiful green and blue. Um. Anyway, oh, they got the XRD pattern here. They got the crystal structure which all makes sense in a journal where you're trying to describe a mineral They describe the atomic bonds and the atomic structure the link you sent doesn't have a picture. If you scroll down. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Ooh. No, it was on the, like, uh, uh, the atomic image, like the scanning electron microscope. Image. Oh yeah. If you scroll, yeah. Scroll over. Yeah. It's pretty. Anywho. <clears throat> This is a this is a journal I'm gonna to have to start checking out. Become a mineral expert. There you go. Um, 
Yeah. So there are different mineral, mineral classifications. Basically there's silicates that use silicon and oxygen, usually in some sort of tetrahedron format in either single tetrahedrons, chain tetrahedrons, sheet tetrahedrons, 3d frameworks. Um, and then there's, you know, there's non-ferromagnesian silicates like feldspar quartz, muscovites, clay minerals. There's ferromagnesian silicates like olivine, pyroxene, amphibole, biotite, garnet. And then, and then there's all the non-silicates, <laughs> which is everything else. So um, th- there's, you know, we could really get into this and get into the different structures and, and what they mean. And, and, and honestly, mineralogy and these different structures, they, they mean a lot when it comes to like semiconductors and superconductors and things like that, because these, the way these bonds arrange themselves can allow for quick, like very efficient electron transfer. So they become very efficient conductors of electricity, which essentially is conductors of information, which makes the chips in our phones and the chips in our computers and the chips for our cars. And like all these different semiconductors need these specific chemical, um, these specific uh, crystalline compositions and structures in order to transfer these electrons quickly and efficiently. And without them, we, we wouldn't be able to you know, have a zoom call or, or do any of these things because we wouldn't be able to transfer this, these bits of information fast enough to make this stuff go as quickly as it does. So uh, I'm just going to leave it there because the mineral classification thing, like, uh, I am no mineralogist. I, I took, uh, no two (laughs) mineralogy classes. So, um, I, I do not, claim to be a mineralogist and or know enough about these different, you know, classifications to, to really get into the nitty gritty without at least doing some research. So one thing that we didn't talk about is how do you name a mineral? So say you, you you find, you find something like, geez, oh me's, I think we got a new mineral on our hands here. What do I do? Well, if you think you have a new mineral, you might want to look, uh, well, the International Mineralogical Association kind of is the group that names minerals. So this came, uh, I'm doing this since, uh, geez, uh, I think since 1960, 59 or 60. But uh, to kind of just, you know, there's a lot of confusion about naming the minerals and stuff like that. And uh, so if you're interested, if you find a, a new material, you think it's a, it's a brand new mineral, Check out on the uh, International Mineralogical Association website. They have a um, an ins- the instructions here on what to do to uh, naming your new mineral species. And don't worry, the instructions are only fourteen pages long. <laughs> it's no, that's not bad, <laughs> but it, it like it gives you like the. Oh my goodness. Like step one through whatever on, you know, know, what to do and and what's considered a mineral, what's not considered a mineral, what to do for redefinitions. I'm going through this right now. It's uh, does it say like, don't name it after yourself. You can't do that. uh, I had heard that you're not supposed to 
you, it, it's you, you can't name it after yourself, but I'm not seeing that. I mean, I'm, I just briefly, you know, skimming through this instructions right here, but yeah, you're not, I was always told that you can't name the mineral after yourself. The, it's like common to name the mineral after locations or like, um, uh, like Greek gods or something like that, you know, mythical, mythical, uh, beings or, mm. uh, in honor of other important scientists. But, um, yeah, so I'm on this. If you ever want to go down a nice rabbit hole, mindat.org. Great is a nice mineral oh, yeah. database. Right now it's saying there's 5,709 mineral species. So, yeah, with uh, 373,000 different localities, over a million occurrences, a million photos, 3,000 articles. So, 57,000 registered users. I should become a registered user. I should give, give these yeah. guys some money. Um, yeah, I use but, it a lot. Yeah, mindat.org is really, really cool. Check it out. Maybe they'll that, become a sponsor. <laughs> I think that uh, pretty much covers the minerals. I think so. I think so. Yeah. So check us out on Facebook, Instagram. I, I'm slow with Facebook this month because it kicked my butt, but, uh, and I'm, you know, the gram Insta as the kids say it, right. Is it the gram or is it Insta now? It's Insta. I don't know. You say Insta. It's Insta. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And when are uh, we going to get the flannel cast TikTok? It's just going to be, it's just going <laughs> to be videos. It's going to be 30 second videos of me trying to do the robot. I like it. I'm yeah. in. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll get on TikTok. We could break this hour long podcast down into 30 seconds. Why not? Uh, please. No. It's just going to be Jesse saying 100, his goodbyes. <laughs> 120, 30 second segments. Bye. Well, all right, everyone. Thanks so much <laughs> for wrapping this thing up. Thanks so much for listening this week. Uh, check us out on geologyflannelcast.com. We got some some fun merch stuff if you'd like to help out the podcast that way. Or you can check out our, um, if you're interested in helping us out by becoming a Patreon member, you can go to patreon.com slash geologyflannelcast. Uh, you can also get that link on geologyflannelcast.com as well. Uh, and uh, don't forget to tell a friend. Tell a friend. Don't be shy. It's okay. June. Don't be embarrassed. That you listen yeah. to your geology so podcast. Tell your friends to join us in June. Join, join us, us in, in June. June. I love it. And it works for join us in July as well. Yeah. Yes. Keep going. Uh, um, don't forget, uh, we're going to be off for the next two weeks here. Yes. We apologize. We're just going to be carb loading, fueling up for <laughs> the 99th podcast. Jeez, yeah, we're going to come back with a vengeance, 99 to 100. <laughs> Who would have thought, gentlemen? Who would have thought back in 2015 when I convinced you guys to, to make the greatest <laughs> decision in your life by getting involved in the geology flannel cast that we'd really? be kissing 100 episodes right now? It, it really would. Join, 2021. Join the geology podcast. You know, m- marriage is a s- distant second. <laughs> <laughs> all right everyone on that note uh good good life lesson words to live by there uh thanks so much everyone and we'll see you guys next time we see you guys in a couple weeks
Bye. See ya.